Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another edition, another episode of Rob's Observations. I hope that you are doing great, that uh, things are good, that you are well. Thank you for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading, listening to this podcast. Um, it, it is my own personal therapy and I, I love that you join me on this trip. Uh, comic books, pop culture continue to dominate every minute of every hour of my life. Uh, it helps that I actually produce them on a regular basis. So, so they're never too far in, in, in regards to my thoughts and my concerns or just my curiosity. And of late, uh, I have really turned to tending to my back issue comic books. And in, in doing this and, and start and, and starting this action of, uh, putting better bags and boards on my comic books in my extensive comic book collection. It has taken me down uh, uh, numerous paths, uh, cr- uh, put me in my car, put me on the road, uh, had me interacting with more retailers uh, in the last couple of weeks than I have I- at any time in the last couple of years. Thankfully now with the conditions that we're living in, you know, you can go into stores and uh, and, and shops with, with safe conditions. And, and of course, all of these stores and shops are practicing these great conditions and they're they're backed by great people who who need our business as well as uh, having turned having to turn to the online component as you will understand and see that I've done but today's topics is square in in the in the uh, in the bullseye of comic books published comic books where they've been and most importantly where they're going where do I think they're heading because I do spend a great deal of time uh, talking about the the history of the comics and 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 how so much of your favorite characters and your stories were formed and sometimes we've touched on the uh, well I, I guess what I would say the collectible aspect of comics and we would be kidding ourselves to act as if that is not a huge I'm going to call it a 50% proposition of comic book retail. A lot of people don't like to talk about the collectible aspect of the comic book marketplace because it is it has aspersions cast on it of the negative style but I'm here to call uh complete horseshit on that as so many of us uh love the value that our comic books have maybe not the comics we bought last week but the comics we bought 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago and in my case 40 45 years ago so so the values of our comics uh th- th- there is a there is a realm of which, and we're going to discuss that these comic books are played like stocks and bonds by people who definitely see them primarily as stocks and bonds. And that's not, that's not the world I live in, but I think we all would be uh, lying to ourselves as, as comic book consumers that when we find out that maybe that one appearance of that one character uh, has gained so much attention and that book that you bought for a dollar is now worth a thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, two thousand dollars. You know, it depends on the bells and whistles. Is it graded? Does it have a signature? Does it have a certificate of, of, of authenticity? So, so that that's kind of a sweet spot. I've shared with you that there was only one time that I actually engaged in uh, testing the market, and and the refresher course on that is the day Todd McFarlane's Three Million Spider-Man came out in the summer of 1990. And my local store was already out of them by the middle of the afternoon. And I figured, well, I can I can kind of remedy the situation. There was another store about 40 minutes away in Orange County, closer to the beach. And I went to that store where they had uh, 
I would say visibly on the floor, on the shelf, over 250 copies of Todd's Spider-Man. And now it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I grabbed about 60 of them, bought them at cover price, and then went back to the store in Fullerton and offered to sell mine to the guy because he said that he wouldn't be able to get restocked till next week. And I'm like, come on, you've got the entire you've got the entire weekend of people coming in here. You can't not have this book. You you went uh, surprisingly, this retailer went short on a big hit book and was already out of it. And again, look, I'm I'm in the business at the time, and Fridays have always been kind of my more open day. Uh, and comic books came out on Fridays. Comic books weren't moved to a Wednesday release date till the middle of the 90s, like 94, uh, uh, 93, 94 at the earliest. But growing up, they were in every Friday uh, arrival. So you got your new books on Friday. And of course, you got albums and CDs and eventually new video cassette tapes, VHS, and eventually you know your DVDs. You got those on Tuesdays. Tower Records and all the big records chains got stuff on Tuesdays. So now we've moved to this Wednesday model for comic books. But So you're on a Friday afternoon. You've got the hottest comic in, in, in publishing in the world that's just come out, and you don't have any copies. So I went down, and I speculated. You can absolutely call it what it is. I speculated, and I paid full color cover price, no discount for the Todd books. I went back, and I offered them to the guy for a buck over cover. And so I made a buck a book. So I made 60 bucks driving around. I, I, I should have, you know, probably driven a harder bargain in, in regards to the way that the guy was had a ton, had real contempt for me. And he goes, I'm going to sell, sell these over cover price. And I said, look, that's not my problem. You don't have to buy these from me. I'm offering them to you. And I drove home with a, wow, that's how it works. You know, I mean, like, that is how the market works. And again, maybe another guy drove into another store and charge $2 over cover, whatever. It, supply and demand is the name of everything. And it it is it has touched my house this week in, in an aspect that we're going to get to uh, later on down the road with my uh, two sons. You know, supply and demand in the world of published material all the way through toys. So we can say comic books and all collectibles, supply and demand is key. It does not dictate it has not dictated what I follow, although I have been prone to falling for some of the more recent stuff. And I can also, I intend to detail some of that in in in, in uh, it, 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 naming each of the titles that I was I was being told, or or maybe you know being being moved towards purchasing because I heard the market was reacting really positively to them. So and and I got friendly tips. I mean, it is like the stock market, but what drove me to the stores. As I mylar bagged my Bronze Age collection of Fantastic Four and my Avengers books uh, this last weekend, uh, my, my wife told me that I was nesting with my comics. It's fun to see you nest with the comics, she said while she sipped her copy, her coffee, while she sipped her cup of joe and walked by, I think, laughing because her her old husband is is uh, is is making sure that that his bags are um, being, you know, I'm pulling the plastic, recycling the backing boards for future uh, back, but but I had bought a whole bunch of new uh, backing boards, uh, uh, bags, the, the, the plastic bags that we all bag and board our comics in, the non-acid bags, but I also bought a fat stack of Mylars because I love that crinkly 
plastic. Come on, you guys know it. And it just makes the books look even nicer. And uh, and I had done this with my X-Men collection in the summertime. And now it was time to do this for the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. And really, through those three runs, covers my favorite period of comics. And that is the 1975 to like the 1982 run on all of those books. Uh, with the Fantastic Four, I go back a little further, 1974 on through, but it, 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 that that's the range. And so, I mean, in, in some cases, we're talking uh, over 100 books. With the Avengers, I went in and I bought back issues that I wasn't able to get when I was pulling them off the rack. So I have Avengers, you know, 98, 99, 100, all the way through, you know, what I, the only stuff that I really put bags on, I stopped at around uh, Avengers 210. Uh, my love for that book stopped in Avengers, uh, at Avengers 202. And the long and the short of it, why the Avengers was the premier book for Marvel uh, during that time. The book that featured the work of the John Byrne and the George Perez's of their age, doing some of the best, most electric work of their age. Those books never do not completely demand all of my attention if I just crack one single book. Uh, cover or, 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 or get, you know, glance at a splash page. I'm going all in. I'm remembering those memories. Some of you guys may have read your comics as you walked home, like I did from the market, from the corner. Um, I was really, yeah, again, really, uh, fortunate, blessed that the, 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 these issues came out and I bought them from a U totem. By the time I moved when I was nine, the liquor store, 7-Eleven, Stater Brothers Triumvirate on my famous Broadway and Magnolia crosswalk was a thing of the past. And now I had Foodland on Euclid and Ball, and I had uh, I had Utotum on on Ball, and I forget the, the, the smaller cross street. But Utotum was exactly a 7-Eleven knockoff. It had a big yellow U, then a dot, then a... T-O-T-E, and then a dot and an M. So you towed them, like you towed them around. And they had soda drinks. I mean, it was literally a 7-Eleven knockoff in an age of 7-Eleven knockoffs, of which only 7-Eleven emerged because Stop and Go was another uh, big uh, convenience market, convenience store like 7-Eleven, like you towed them. But they all had spinner racks or shelves that they prominently featured comic books on. But you towed them was literally a four-block walk from my house. And so when I walked back from Utotem with issues of the Avengers, like Avengers 175, Avengers 171, 172, um, Avengers 200, X-Men 141, Days of Future Past, I was reading those as I was walking, generally with a Slurpee in my hand. And as I said, the bag and board culture had not hit us yet. It certainly hadn't hit young Robbie Liefeld in his uh, 905 South Trident home that he lived on four blocks away. Uh, in Anaheim. And, and so I would consume these. Like I said, I would like read them over and over and just be blown away. And I can remember the per the page turns. I can remember the scenes that, that hit me on the certain blocks. And I will be, I'll tell you full confession as I've, I, I think I've said in other podcasts about once a year, I get in my Jeep open air so I can really feel the community. I drive back to these areas. I get out, I walk them. There's magic in those steps. There's magic um, on those streets that those are paved with comic book memories that I can never let go. I can't. I'm so wired into that and the way they made me feel and the excitement. And look, it put, you got to realize it put me on a career path. It put me on a forever career path that I'm never not going to be doing. You know, uh, the answer to my question, uh, the the um, 
the the the, the question that, that so many of these uh, self help gu- gurus um, uh, put forth is you know if you could have all your bills paid for and you didn't have you know any any um, concern about money what would you do what is your passion I think this is a popular thing that Tony Robbins uh, says at his um at, at his at his you know uh, meetings and 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 his his rallies and I and I've heard this exchange before on television shows and my my thing is look my my past won't stay the same I mean I've done very well for myself in my career and I still want to produce a minimum of a hundred pages a year I feel like that's the minimum I can give I love to tell stories I, I again it's not it's not, it's not about covers a hundred interior pages the covers are on top of that I want to tell a hundred sequential art pages because I want to keep putting stories out, chapters in sagas of characters that I love and and, and make sure that, that I get a trade collection when it's all done that I can put on the shelf. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of building my back issue library and, and when they do collections or omnibuses of my work, it's, it's a thrill to me. And because I now have memories of actually producing the work rather than consuming the work as I did with these titles that I'm telling you about. But my focus on preserving these books, these memories, these these actual comics, I I, I believe that their values are are not going to go down. In fact, they're going to go up. And this kind of gives you a hint of where I'm going to land at the end of this as I talk to you about where I believe the market is going, where I believe comic books as an art form and as a uh, as a marketplace is is heading. And you know, I'm reminded of when I was walking the the grounds of the uh, San Diego Comic Con before it moved to the big, giant Uber, you know, convention center. Where when it was in the smaller convention center, and it, uh, if you go back, I don't know, I don't know that I kept it, but on my Instagram in the summer, the weekend of San Diego, which was canceled, of course, due to this pandemic, my wife and I drove to San Diego. At which point, I got I got out, and she had never seen the old convention center, and we walked the grounds and. Looked at the benches and t- and, and looked at, looked at all the different uh, you know monuments and statues that, that are still there and I was just again overwhelmed. Those are magic magic times for me and I'm so glad that I was able to attend comic conventions there since 1982 um, through 1989 before before and and possibly 1990 before it moved. I know it was moved in 1991 when I was signing X Force. That may have been the first year. Uh, that they moved to the brand new convention center when they had just the A, B, and C halls. Eventually, they would build it out to be the monstrosity that it, that it is now, all the way to Hall H, where it stops because they, you know, ran out of real estate. So, so that convention center uh, was the was the was a convention center, the original one that Todd McFarlane and I were walking around in 1989, and we were going down an aisle, and he said, "Oh, hey, w- wait a minute." He goes, oh, give, give, "Give me a minute," and, and and he looked at me and he said. You, you collect comics, like, like the old stuff. And I'm like, I, I have a few. You know, I, I keep all my stuff from childhood. And he walked over, and there was a retailer that had Amazing Fantasy, the first appearance of Spider-Man. And Todd goes, Hey, bud, what, 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 what you asking? What's, what's the ask? What's the ask on that? And uh, the guy goes, Amazing Fantasy, yeah. And he reaches up. And it was in the four thousand dollar range. I remember it was forty two hundred, forty five hundred, four thousand. And Todd goes, "Nice copy, nice. Hmm. All right. Oh, thanks." Oh. He turns to me, he goes, "Let me come back and get that." He goes, "Uh, I don't have a nice copy of 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 the first Spider Man, and 
that's never not going to be the first appearance of Spider-Man. And I'm like, dude, ring that bell, hit that on the nail. I remember sitting there going, man, I wish I had, you know, $4,000 excess in my pocket right then to turn around and buy that comic because I knew that Todd was speaking truth. That is never not going to be the first appearance of Spider-Man. Okay? So, so um, I don't know if Todd went back and bought it that weekend. I didn't track him, but that was the, you know, I walked by, I, I'd seen some stuff on the shelves. Now, is that a $300,000 comic book today? I don't know. It's up there. It's, it's way, way, way up there. So, you know, that price at that time, that, that 4,000, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't, uh, you know, today it wouldn't be a 10, but was it a high, you know, was it a, was it a nine? Was the condition really nice? Was it, was it in a Mylar? Yes. It was a really beautiful copy. And that Todd, Todd kept saying, mm, nice copy. Oh, nice copy. Hard to get a copy like this. So, I mean, there, there was, it was, it was, it wasn't as fast as I recounted it to you. I mean, he really turned it around, studied it, gave it a look over and, uh, and uh, before giving it back and, and again, you know, that's never not going to be the first appearance of Spider-Man. So that speaks to values. That's what you'd call a key, right? Those are keys. You know, uh, do, do you, I know some guys who go, I just collect key. I just collect key appearances, key issues. And uh, so for me, I'm looking at my collection that I've, I've had my entire life. And I believe that these are not going to devalue, that, 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 that they need better care. They deserve a new round of bags and boards. So I did. Now, some of them are signed. When I would take my Marv, my, when Marv Wolfman was in town, Marv did a huge, exceptional run. Uh, one of my favorite Doctor Doom stories ever after the Stan and Jack stuff. And, and even more so than anything John Byrne did with the character was a Son of Doom storyline where Doctor Doom's son was going to um, you know, follow him as the ruler of Latveria. But what we didn't know was that he was conducting experiments on him and he captured the Fantastic Four in order to imbue uh, his son with all their powers, which he did, and it killed him. He he fights his father after seeing what his father does to him and he dies. So now you've got a dead son of Victor Von Doom. So if you don't think that that issue 200 was a double-sized issue with a Jack Kirby, Mr. Fantastic, fighting Dr. Doom, on the cover. Uh, that was a book I bought at Foodland. And so that is opposite. That is four. That was four blocks up the street on Euclid and Ball Road. And years later, a, a store called Fat Collectibles in Anaheim would go up in that same center. And I was, I almost was in tears. Like, I can't believe there's a place still that, that, that now comic books live on this center in, in this unit, you know, a few doors down from the Foodland that you know, I bought so many seminal comic books, but I read that issue 200, double size, square bound, really thick, juicy comic book, great story, written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Keith Pollard, inked by Joe Sennett, uh, where 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 Doom and Reed Richards just have a giant, you know, they have a giant epic showdown following this four part Son of Doom storyline. Well, the, the those those uh, those comics. I hold dear and, 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 uh, they are rich in my memory so much so that I would bring them to have Marv Wolfman sign them along with my teen Titans and whatever else he was writing. Marv was extremely prolific prior to going to the Titans. He did a years long run on Spider-Man as well. He did, uh, Nova. Uh, he, he, he just, Marv was really, um, wired in as a, both an editor and a, and a writer at Marvel comics. So, so these books, that I have continued to bag and board and keep in boxes. 
And, and if you're wondering, my collection is probably on the plus, you know, plus 225 uh, boxes of comics. My, my collection, you know, more than some, less than others. It's a, it's a lot. Uh, I, have, I have storage units that, that I frequent, that I, I go and sometimes I pull out some of my favorite stuff and I'll be like, wow, I need to have this entire run of DC Comics Presents come home with me. Because it's not satisfying just to sit here and look at in the in the storage unit on a Saturday afternoon. I need to load it up. I need to drive it home, and I need to have time to go through these stories and remember exactly, you know, uh, the the stories, the adventures, the art, and more importantly, how they made me feel. Because it's the stories, the interior art, the interactions—that's what makes us uh, fall in love with these stories. So I found some holes in my Avengers and my Fantastic Four that I was bagging and boarding, the same as I did with the X Men titles. Uh, in the summer. And so I set about to buy replacement copies if I could. In Southern California, you've heard me mention this several times, especially when we have Jimmy J on the show. Uh, Jimmy J is a prominent comic book retailer at Frank and Sons. Frank and Sons is in the city of industry. They put up this last week that it was a year ago this week that they opened, which was only, as you know, a few weeks before the pandemic shut everything down. But it was a uh, Frank and Sons in city of industry is in a nutshell, it is a beautiful uh, comic book uh, marketplace with comics, toys, sports cards, and then your pl- your role playing games, and everything in the middle. And it is vast. It is um, I don't know the amount of square feet, but it is like a, it's a Best Buy. It's a, it's an abandoned, uh, you know, or Sam's Club that that is now been replaced with all comic book and collectibles, and it continues their tradition that they had in Pomona, where they had Frankensons for nearly 30 years. So um, hundreds of vendors, comic books, toys, uh, again, role-playing games, sports cards, you name it. Uh, they've got, you know, weaponry uh, uh, for, from real swords to prop swords. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun if you can get by there. The family that runs it's great. Frankie and the boys are, 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 are great. I love it. I love that there's an outlet. The reason I went there first is because I knew that they had the largest amount of back-issue dealers because I don't know if, what your guy's situation is in your city, in your town, but uh, it's it's kind of a, a jump ball here who carries back-issues and who doesn't. And the back-issues are really what demand the most of my attention the, the, the past decade as I've, I guess my middle age, my, my middle-age swoon uh, is, is that I've just fallen deeper in love with my comics, my collections, and having multiples and... You know, whether it's, um, I have a healthy dose. I have, I have probably 60 of the treasury editions that oversized that I've talked so, so the oversized, oversized comics that I've talked so much on the show about, uh, I just love having them. And, 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 and when I'm at shows and, and, and traveling, especially the ones I like, I like to get extra copies again, because then if it's of a nicer grade, then I will turn the one that I have home into a reader copy that I can interact with more frequently. But I go to Frankensons because they have a bunch of guys who are dedicated just back issue sellers. They don't have any new comics. A lot of the stores here in the area, especially a couple of them, have limited themselves only to new comics, new trades, new hardcovers, and some toys and Funko Pops. And that's a smart business model. It's lean. It's mean. There are other stores that carry a, a, a uh, really comprehensive uh, back issue selection that, can t- that, that, that you literally will spend hours flipping through. And it is some of the greatest 
comic books from the Silver Age all the way to the Modern Age. My focus is and always will be on the Bronze Age stuff that I love. Sometimes I go in for that 90s stuff that I was a part of because I realize I may not have enough of those to go around. So I, I definitely like um, buying more of those as well. But that's that's really the the kind of the window that my focus is. So I went to Frankincense and I went to six dealers and I was only able to pick up six comics, six different back issue dealers. And the Bronze Age Fantastic Four and the Bronze Age Avengers stuff was in it was extremely limited. I wasn't going for key issues. This isn't like I'm trying to go buy Scarlet Witch issues because WandaVision is up. I'm trying to buy some of these Fantastic Four comics uh, that, that to fill in gaps and some Avengers comics, some of which had Ultron, some of which have a character some of you haven't heard of called Korvac. But it's just, I needed like three different copies to fill in the gaps. I found none of those. But what I did end up getting is, again, a couple of duplicates, some maybe nicer copies of comics I already had. And I was happy to, you know, participate with these retailers who are always so great and so nice to me and go away and support the hobby that I love and make sure that they're going to be there the next time I see them by buying comics from them. So, uh, you know, I decided last weekend that I would venture out now given that the that the the the, the Frankenstein's retailers came up relatively short and they have great they have a great assortment of back issues it just wasn't the stuff that I was down for and so I decided to continue my search and frequented several of the local stores in Orange County in the cities of Anaheim, Fullerton, Tustin and Orange and I was able to uncover two more additional comics two stores had no bronze back issues whatsoever in their collection. The, 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 the stuff really starts almost, some of these stores, their their back issues start in the 2000s. And so that and, and now you go, well, that's 20 issues of comics. I mean, 20 years of issues of comic books. That is, it's, it's vast. It's just not the sweet spot. And so when I'm driving home, and two of the three that I needed, I did get from my Avengers holes. So I was able to really score but as I'm driving home, I'm realizing, and I call one of my buddies, and I said, wow, this Bronze Age stuff is getting scarce. So now we're back in supply and demand. You know, this stuff, some stores don't carry them, and the dedicated back issue guys, they don't have them. There's holes in their collections. And it's not as if there's comic conventions right now, like a San Diego, where in years past, if I want, like so many of you, I have a want list. And if I have books that I want, whether it's a Legion of Superheroes, which prior to this was the most impossible back issue run to find, the Legion of Superheroes that I've talked of about so often that was a hit, hit comic in the 70s and 80s and has since kind of fallen and, and they failed to regenerate the energy around that book. I literally just read that exact same line in a Nerdist article this morning. So it's it's not a Rob Liefeld consideration. I don't know anyone at Nerdist and they wrote the exact same thing that, that the Legion just, they were unable to bottle the same excitement once they kind of abandoned the vision of the book, you know, almost now, you know, 30 years ago. So the Legion used to be impossible. You could not find them. So I, in probably 2016, 2017, honed in on making sure that I filled my holes in my Legion collection, of which I have a really good, really solid couple of long box Legion collection, but there were issues I was missing. And then there was issues I discovered that were in really, really nice condition, so I made sure I got those. But there's not a WonderCon, an Emerald City, a New York Comic Con, um, a San Diego. I've bought from all these retailers. They all know me. Uh, 
I, I, I love flipping through and, and finding some great comics, some great conditions. And that doesn't exist right now. So we are limited to our um, local retailers and, 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 and vendors that we know of. So I did what I didn't want to do. And to fill those last two gaps of the books I wanted, I went online. And on eBay, there was only one copy of one of them. And this is not a key issue, guys. This isn't like a first appearance of Venom, a first appearance of Carnage. But they're just not in abundant supply. Amazon didn't have any and eBay didn't have any. Uh, except for one option. It cost me 18 bucks. I hit that button and it's on its way to my house. And what I learned that I am doing myself a great service by putting my books in a nicer Mylar uh, bag and board, you know, the acid-free bags. And, uh, and, and, and I am making sure that the values of my comics, which I am intending to pass along to my kids, because here's the deal. Other than that Spider-Man, uh, Todd McFarlane's speculation episode that landed, you know, lasted one hour on the day that the book came out to show me the conditions of the marketplace and how fast those kind of transactions can be made. I don't sell my stuff. I hold on to it. Um, you know, and, and, and I make sure now when I have the time, when I can peel away from the multiple assignments I'm doing, that I am taking as good of care as possible of my comic collection. So that was really what led me to this focus. And then on the flip side, in talking to my local retailers who have stayed around and stayed in business uh, through this very difficult period, they were telling me of the ups and downs of what we now call the book of the week. The book of the week is a weekly kind of syndrome and it's being driven by all sorts of different forces, some of which are apps. There are collectible comic apps, hot book apps that treat the comics like the stock market. And there are people who I know, who I really like, who are obsessed with it. They are obsessed with, let's call it playing the ponies. They're, they're playing the ponies every Tuesday and Wednesday, anticipating what's coming out, trying to look further into the future. And they, 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 they make sure they buy high if they can and sell as high. And what I mean, buy high in terms of volume and sell high in terms of price. And when they get shorted in terms of volume, oh man, I, these guys that I know, they, they flip out. They flip out and then they're, you know, sometimes running around on a Tuesday trying to buy out every local shop and uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to watch. It's, it's, uh, I call it the fever. And when the fever strikes, it's fun to watch. Um, I have been bit in different intervals by the fever. And as I look over the last three years of what I call the, 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 the most recent fever, it has, uh, it has been very inconsistent by and large. And, and I'll get to specifics. I'll get to absolute specifics here. <clears throat> the, the point of all of this contributes to where I have come up with a theory about where comic books is going because uh, this is just one part of, an, of, 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 of where we're going today. And it's going to take a little while to sew it all together. But the Bronze Age comics, finding out the values of those books and the scarcity and the supply and demand, uh, that's not going to increase. Those books are either dying in people's collections, they're being sold for pennies on the dollars at yard sales, where there are people also, I call people my friends, sometimes I'm calling friends some just well-known acquaintances, but I also watch all the Facebook groups, of which I'm you know, a part of several and friends with people who are interacting with them, and they like to boast and brag about the different books that they uh, collect at different yard sales and how they're way too late. One of these guys, you know, God bless him, he gets to every estate sale super late, and I'm just like... Dude, get, why don't you sleep over and make sure you're first in line? That's what I would do. If I did this, I would be first in line every time. I was the designated guy back when we used to wait in line for movies. 
in the time of 1989 Batman, in the time of Raiders of the Lost Ark 3, of, 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 of the original Ghostbusters, you know, all the way through Terminator 2, that I was the guy, because I had the day job who could draw comics, I would get in line with my folding chair at 7 a.m. in the morning, 8 a.m. in the morning. And so when the first showing, the evening showing at 8 o'clock, when all my friends could get off work, was going to was gonna happen, that, well that they would all have a spot with me. I was that guy that was saving 10 spots. So I never got mad at the other people who were saving 10 spots ahead of me if in case I got there number two or number three. Because if I was at the top of the line, that's what I was doing. But I was never like like sixth in line or seventh in line. I was, I was always in that top three cut. Phantom Menace, same thing, multiple times. Uh, st- waited up early to get the tickets, the pre-tickets. This is before the internet, before reservations, before assigned seating, guys. And, and 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 the last time I really do remember kind of going all in on something like this was was Phantom Menace and and we were we we had so many people and we were that was the first showing now it turned to midnight screenings and uh, you know I got there at like one o'clock in the afternoon and I found myself eighth in line which would then turn into thirtieth but I was also waiting for you know I was holding for ten or twelve people myself so. That, that, this guy who's always last to these estate sales and then says, oh, I got just the pickovers. I've even said, why aren't you there earlier? What is, what is, why are you not getting there and being the first and getting the first grab of this stuff? So that's just an aside, but I'm watching this on social media and how these guys go and buy old collections. And the key to all of these guys is buying as cheap as possible. They want them at, at which that makes sense, right? That's what you would want to. You want to buy them for pennies on the dollar so you can turn around and mark it up in your online sales group and then sell it for the for the giant markup. But the bottom line is collections like mine, runs like mine, are hard to find. Uh, if an, if I ever were to go retail, I have an ex, I would be an exceptionally well-stocked store for a period of time until someone cleaned me out, at which point I would then have to fret about replacing this. I know in the pandemic, through several of my retail outlets, People who needed money sold their collections. I was there on days when these went down, when 30 boxes, when 100 boxes, when a truck that was, you know, that, that drove to Riverside to pick up a guy's multiple multiple hundred box books was coming in. And my retailer, knowing that I loved their Bronze Age stuff, was eager to share it with me. So that happened a lot in the pandemic. And it kept retailers going because, again, they were able to provide uh, buyouts on collections for people who needed the money and then turn them around and, uh, you know, turn them into very valuable money for to keep their sh- shops open. And this is where I want to stop at this section. It's really the halfway point of today's podcast and really acknowledge and give props and shout out to all of the retailers who thrived during this challenging year, which saw new comics stop shipping for over two months, no new product, Many areas were shut down completely for a matter of many months, repeat shutdowns. And I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of these guys. I know a lot of them in Southern California. I know a lot of them beyond. And it was amazing to see them rally. They rallied. They used social media. They used Facebook groups. They used Instagram Live. They used Twitter. They had live shows. They had... um, that, that you know that they went straight into your room with their wares because you couldn't come to them. They made their uh, comics available around the world in some instances. I saw them selling giant collections to London, to to Canada, and beyond. But you know, 
the thing that I really it it it, it inspires me uh, is 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 to see how we as a society as a community have refused to um, to be beat down that we have um, been innovative we have risen we have shifted my wife and I went to a uh, favorite kind of retail walk area that we hadn't been to in quite some time. Last Friday, I just said, hey, let's go chase the sunset. Let's not sit here on the couch tonight. Let's get out. My work is done for the day. My wife's always up for a good outing. She's hops in the car with me. We drove to this area that we hadn't been to um, during the pandemic, so almost a year, to find out that one of the uh, theaters had sold and become a, a theater chain, has multiple theaters on this street, a 12 and a 10, and the 10 was now a church. I was really taken aback that this was now a church. It had, you look through the windows, there's couches, there's fireplaces, there's youth care centers, ministry. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. The bottom line is that the owner of the theaters realized that in a time that we can't sell theaters, we will sell this to a uh, a, a, a church and, and, and meet their need. Clearly, this church wants this facility, which they clearly built out and changed the, the, the theater rooms into different into different functions for themselves. They, they now have the giant lobby functioning with couches, a coffee shop. And I was like, wow, that's innovative. A church came in, this theater wanted to clearly sell when they reopen and theaters are back. I'm sure they're confident that their 12 theater uh, you know, site on the corner will continue to thrive, but they didn't need you know, 20 they didn't need 21, uh, 22 theaters anymore. They're going to go forward with the 12 uh, unless this church you know, can't make it work. And then they ultimately ultimately end up selling back. The Starbucks that was there is gone, replaced by a, another mom-and-pop coffee shop. Uh, you know, All these different retail outlets, the tents outside, the restaurants, the way they built out their areas. I, I understand we're in Southern California. Our conditions are different, but I've seen via the news reports in New York City, even with the very cold temperatures, how they've um, gone to outdoor seating. And we just, ref- uh, you know, the thing is that, that innovation was there, whether it was pushing dining outside with heating lamps, with tents, whether it's a theater selling to a church and that church now, you know, having this great new facility that maybe their, you know, their body uh, 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 of worship needed. It's just, it's innovation. It's, it's in the orange circle. When I go there, and, and the way that they've innovated and 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 stayed around one of the one of the I mean all of the restaurants in that area in the pandemic found uh, immediately ways to do the you know the the dine out factions with limited outdoor capacity when it was allowed when we were allowed to do that here in Orange County and with comic book retailers all of their online components and the way that people just took to social media to keep themselves going I applaud it. I'm so proud of our business. One of my retailers told me that he had his best October and November on record. Not the best month of the last year. His best November, the November and October were his best months he'd ever um, sold comics in. And he is a 20-year-plus retailer. And he said, no, the, 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 the people really reawakened their love and their passions while they were locked down. And presumably without the ability to spend their money to travel. Imagine all of the people who, and I know many of the high rollers 
who would I would see at Emerald City, at New York Comic Con, at MegaCon Florida, at uh, C2E2, at San Diego, at WonderCon. All of these, let, let's, they were referred to by my retail partners. They call them the big fish. The big fish like to fly big, stay in big suites, have big meals, buy big art collections, big comic books, big, big graded collections. They collect signatures. These guys haven't been able to travel for the entire year, but that disposable income is something that they were used to spending year in, year out. So this year, without the choice of getting out, they turned to online buying because the retailers made sure that they were there to offer the online buying, whatever it was. And I have seen all manner of toys, statues, vintage comics, Bronze Age, Silver Age, graded comics, um, signatures. I've seen it all. And I just want to applaud specifically comic book retail and all the comic book retailers that took to their groups, that went to their weekly shows, their their twice a week shows, three times a week shows, and really ramped up their, their, their mail order component and added staff and started shipping out, in some instances, twice the volume that they would do on a regular week because their store went beyond the local marketplace and into the global marketplace. Now, that has to be like the cherry on on top of of, of, of kind of a miserable year or, or, or kind of sometimes it may seem like we're putting whip, whipped cream on mud. But what I'm saying is they made the best of a very difficult situation and so many of them, them that I know of have thrived. That's not to say that some of them did, in fact, cease business and that bums me out and I miss it. Those were stores I frequented and when I drive by them now and they're empty, it, it completely bums me out because I have all those great memories of frequenting that store and frequenting with that staff and buying their stuff and, and it was it was the, the social interaction was, was fantastic and I had some signings at these stores and I will miss these people and I will miss those locations and it was an honor this last year to raise money. Um, you know, we, we raised over $100,000 for struggling stores. And one of the difficult parts of doing it, it wasn't actually drawing the comics, it was vetting the stores. I know that there were other um, um, uh, organizations that helped out stores via some sort of group charity. I don't know how it worked with me. Uh, you you If you won an auction, you paid the store directly. I never touched the money. The money did not go through me. I was the conduit with which to raise the money and provide it for the stores because I desperately knew that these stores needed help. And the great thing is after I helped the very first store, they would start telling me, hey, you know, Bill's store over here needs some help or Larry's store over here needs some help or, you know, Carson's store over here needs some help. And and would you contact them? And and it was great to, to spread it out among, I think, you know, maybe 27 different uh, states, we were able to disperse the money, but it was, uh, look, man, I love comics. If you love comics, it's put up or shut up. You put your money where your mouth is and you do what you can do and you help out when you can help out. And we as a community, cause so many guys drew pictures, raised money, and, and hopefully all that money found its way into the hands of the retailers who needed the help, who were a- unable to get new books who weren't, who were limited in their curbside service and maybe didn't have the best online component, but the industry rose, it came together. And now what we're seeing as we come out of it is a lot of excitement. I can't believe all of the quote unquote hot, we can call it H-A-W-T, hot comics that came out of the pandemic. I can't think of one that did better, uh, that I feel is the more, more of the organic, uh, style of comic book 
the, the, the kind that you, you, it just, I don't know. I don't, I hesitate to say feels better, but it, it feels more genuine when it's organic. And that is when the creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman launched his last Ronin, uh, which was in, in essence, in knowing what a big Frank Miller fan he is, he was doing, he's doing the Dark Knight with the turtles. It's got tons of mystery, tons of action. It's got a jump forward in term. It's got a time jump. So you're looking in the future. It's got a solo turtle without his turtle brethren and the mystery of where they are. Faces are revealed at the end of the first issue. There hasn't been a follow-up at the time of my recording this, but that hasn't stopped three bold printings of this book because it was organic. People saw it. They liked it. Retail variants were in abundance. Um, people really went big on buying in on this issue, on this book. And the the day it arrived at a giant number of 120 plus thousand copies, 120,000 plus copies, I think it's almost like a $10 book too. So this is not a cheap comic. This book was selling out before it hit the stands. People were already sold out. The reorders were lighting up. IDW was processing thousands and thousands upon thousands of reorders. And people, I think it was, sometimes you get the right book at the right time. But the fans showed up. I was standing at my friend's booth, uh, at Jimmy's booth, when the book was released that week. And I mean, wave after wave after wave crashed up against his booth looking for copies of that book of which Jimmy was gone. Some retail, some local retailers were selling it for three, three to four times its cover price. And in the ensuing weeks, the hold that I see that it has on people is that the second and the third prints have continued to demand huge, um, that they've just continued to be in huge demand is what I should say, because they're selling out there. People are showing up. They have just completely bought into this entire event. Um, having it be organic with Kevin Eastman, you know, one of the godfathers of the turtles, um, you know, providing the story, in some cases, the layouts, uh, that, that's, in, that's integral to why it is so successful. It was the right book, the right time. It was true to the creator, the true to the creative team, and it has just thrived. And, and that is a book that as of today, it, it appears that those values have held. Now, will it hold a whole year from now? That's not my concern. I love the book. I enjoyed the book. I got my hands on it the day that it came out. I loved it. I poured over it because I have been working with IDW uh, on on my GI Joe project, on my Snake Eyes project. I was able to, you know, talk to them about about, about the creation of the book and, and talk to my editors and you know just talk and generate more excitement and tell them how excited I was because again it's 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 really a, a very interesting um, um, you know development that in the in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a shutdown a new project, a new expensive 48-page thick experience uh, generated as much interest and sales, and that helped retailers out immensely. Now, have I been in stores, in brick-and-mortar stores, as they're pulling them off the shelves because the comic book apps that I mentioned have said, this thing is going through the roof, and so selling it at $8.99 is really shorting the value because it's already online for $50, bucks, 60 bucks. Yes, the day of, that evening of, I, I was at a store where they were pulling them off shelves and putting them behind the counter, okay? And and that happens. Um, and that's been happening in uh, several times in the last three years as there is this constant um, system that has to be fed, which is called this hot book system and these hot book buyers. 
Now that is the kind of that that's the kind of stuff that represents a ton of risk. Is it as organic as something like the Last Ronin, which is very story based? It's not. It's um. For instance, let's go to Batman. It was called Batman Damned. It was a black label book. It came out from Bat uh, from DC about two years ago. Uh, that th there is a uh, shot of Batman's donger of his penis, and that caused the market to go crazy because it was forbidden fruit. It was R-rated. It was it was um, deemed unacceptable by the Warner higher-ups. There was some shade cast upon this. W is this part of the reason to deal with show showed the door? You know, a few months later, maybe I don't know. But it it was a big controversial comic that in that first few days was going for a hundred dollars. It was I think an eight ninety nine comic, uh, and 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 it was oversized. It was like a magazine. It was another square bound book. But the controversy pushed it. The snippets of Bruce Wayne's pecker, okay? Bruce Wayne's pecker is driving this comic. And I saw today, I went on eBay, I checked, because I hadn't checked in a long time. I was curious given what I was going to speak of today. And I believe that uh, that the closed sales on these were in the 30 to $35 realm. So if you bought it at $9, that's a great, you know, you got to feel good about the fact that if you bought it, for nine dollars that it is now uh twenty one dollars more is, is it is it ninety dollars more than it was the week it came out no but the minute those prices go crazy they're going to fall you're better off letting that being patient letting that book find find its 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 true worth and and if it's on ebay and it's raw and it's not slabbed and it's not signed by the creative team and there is no certificate of authorship so you bought it in the same way that i bought it off the shelf and that's the only format and condition that you have it in uh it's going for 32 to 35 dollars but not the 100 and 100 plus that it was going for when the heat when I, what i call the fever was was completely you know taking over and 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 you know just igniting on all cylinders when people it was a mad dash to get that book and of course it went back to press and it didn't, i didn't follow the subsequent printings i don't think the rest of the series held on to that exact uh uh level of excitement because it was literally something that i would call inorganic it was a controversy because there was a shot that was deemed um racy for the character and the material even though the entire purpose of the, the, the those books um you know, the, the black line of books, the black mark line, whatever they're calling them, was to be R-rated and racy. So it was, it was a weird dichotomy there, but it ultimately fueled in those first few days, giant sales. Um, I mean, r ridiculous amounts of, of, of interest in people tripping over themselves. So did retailers pull them from the shelves and put them behind the counter to wait out the weekend to then reemerge with those books in Mylar bags and put them up on their wall for 80, 75 bucks? In some cases, a hundred bucks. Yes, I saw it with my own two eyes. It happened. I didn't track how they sold, but you can't blame the retailer. He is trying to dance between, do I give it to you for a certain amount of dollars, knowing that you have never bought this book before. You don't buy anything from me. I've never seen you before, but you have come in here because your app or your eBay cycling or your messaging or your friend told you that you need to have a copy of this. You know, that is the dilemma of the retailer. Now, I'm not saying he pulled them out of pull boxes. I'm not saying he 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 uh, took them from regular customers. But you can see also from their side is, hey, I've never seen you before. But suddenly 
you I've, you've never bought a comic book from me, but you want a Turtles comic because you heard that a Turtles comic was going for $60 this afternoon and you're buying it because you want to buy in case it goes higher. I understand the skepticism. This isn't a regular customer. This guy's never walked in my store before. He's never been in my booth before. And now he's ragging on me because I'm not giving him the book at the cover price because, you know, I want it at the day of price, but I've never known you before. I've never seen you before. You've never frequented my establishment. So it's, it's a dichotomy. I don't, I don't know where I fall on it. Um, I'm not as harsh on it as others. And I wish that there was more availability of that product. But at the end of the day, let's get back to supply and demand. My friend's a real estate agent. He told me the other day, here in Southern California, he put a listing up. It had 65 offers in 24 hours. 65 offers for a house in Orange County. 65 offers. And the list price had already jumped over $100,000. This is crazy. That's just a crazy time, especially given this pandemic time that we live in and the idea that in the state that I live in, that people are leaving it because they're upset with the conditions and, and there's a recall going on for the governor. And But the housing is insane. There are 65 interests in one piece of property. So supply and demand is what drives this stuff. But I'm not here to really talk about comic books as stock market. I have been told by a retailer two years ago, you got to get this Avengers comic. This is the first appearance of Conan. It's the first appearance of Conan. This is the glimpse of Conan. And then the next issue coming out in two weeks is the first full appearance of Conan in the Avengers. And I'm like, well, I guess that's I guess that's a big deal. And then I remembered I have that what if Conan walked the earth today, which I guess is the pivot into all this from the 70s that I bought off the rack at, get, wait for it, Foodland. That was a Foodland purchase. What if Conan walked the earth today? Cool issue of what if where he's in the modern world in 1977, 1978, New York City, you know, Times Square. But I was told, Conan and Avengers, man, Conan and Avengers, it's going to be hot. Conan's coming back to Marvel. They're integrating him with the Avengers. He's going to be battling on alongside, you know, Venom and, and Wolverine. And So I went in, I bought maybe an issue that I wouldn't have otherwise bought. And that book, I don't think, held its value for even a week. But I bought on the idea that, okay, this is something I should buy into. Of recent times, when my friends recommend me, I decide I'm going to wait it out. I'm not going to chase today's book of the week. And my friends, my retailer friends have really, we've had some long discussions about how the market really is based on, well, do you have the book of the week? Sometimes the book of the week is a cool cover. Patrick Gleason recently did a really awesome, wicked rendition of Spider-Man that was composed uh, of of webs. He he did this beautiful rendition of a bust of Spider-Man against an all-black background. Looked like a, you know, an, it looked like a negative, like the, an X-ray, because, you know, everything that would have been black was white. He he did it in a, you know, reverse approach where it's white webs against a black background constructing this beautiful bust of Spider-Man that caught fire. It has been, uh, I think, three to four printings. It has been uh, repeated by several people who have replicated it on different homage covers. And now I see that he is taking it to an issue of Man-Thing. And it looks amazing. And he will forever be known as the first adopter, the guy who um, presented that for the first time. And there have been people like, why has never no one ever done this before? One of my friends decided he was going to go all in and bought in advance. He thought he was seeing the forest for the trees and he bought 30 of them. 30 of them. And he sold the first two for a lot of money. But then they were coming out with the second printing, and the second printing now turns the white webbing 
this 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 you know reverse negative now turns the white into red webbing against black. And I think the future one, I think, is it, is it blue? Because they're representing all the colors in Spider-Man's costume, white, red, and blue. Um, and I'm sure there's a going to be a black on a white background eventually, if there isn't already. If there is, forgive me, I haven't seen it. But that cover, those now the reprints are demanding money. The second prints, the third prints. And what happened is it drove the first editions down, slightly causing this guy to flip out because his... $100 an issue that he was hoping to book did not manifest. That is a guy who is playing comic books like stocks, which reminds me of what the wizard tried to do, which is not what I am speaking of. When I told you about 20 minutes ago that when I finally filled in the issues on my Bronze Age collection and I went back and I ordered it, I spent $18 on a comic I paid $0.25 cents for. It's a good markup. I paid $0.25 cents for it. To replace it now, 40 years ago, I'm paying $18. So it's a, the, the values are fun. If you bought New Mutants 98 for a buck and you now have a raw copy, it goes between $300 and $400. If you get slabs, if you get my signature, if you get Stan Lee's signature, if it's in a nice grade, if it has a COA, if it has a remark, the pricing all goes crazy. Before I came on to talk to you today, I was shown the Deadpool cards from X-Force number one. This is like a fresh kind of the last 72 hours, 42, 48 hours, 24 hours, they have been pulled um, by someone who said, look, there's 5 million copies of X-Force number one. There was five cards in the entire pack. So one card, a cable card was in a million copies. One had a million Deadpools. That's the math that they're using. Even though I'm not sure it can be confirmed, that's a safe math. Well, then they're like, well, then how many of those 1 million Deadpool cards were a PSA 10 level. They are PSA 10s on eBay closing this afternoon for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I saw one that had a buy it now of $750. That is insane. So the work that I did that debuted 30 years ago this summer, the trading cards are being pulled out and submitted to PSA. And if you don't know what PSA is, PSA is the premier grader for cards in the same way that CGC is the premier grader for comic books and what happened and what really put them on the map and you've got all these guys of age now is the Michael Jordan rookie card of which I am so fortunate that I bought one myself in 1990. I spent $200 on my rookie card. It has been in a sealed plastic case ever since. I've been able to show it to my kids. It goes back in the safe. I am debating going and and, and, and submitting it to PSA. My, my friends who are really good at this have already told me I have no shot at a 10 because of you know, the the um, the centering of the image and, and how that, per, you know, pertains to the grading. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eventually make my way over and, and submit it. But PSA is this, uh, is this grading card system business for cards. And it touches Pokemon, sports cards, and now Marvel cards. And in this instance, it has touched these Deadpool cards from X-Force number one that were in poly bags. Now, the Michael Jordan Last Dance epic uh, documentary that aired, uh, created this new fever. And during that six weeks or five weeks that those played, uh, his PSAs, PSA 10 Michael Jordan cards went through the roof and exceeded all previous pricings. I know that they were at 150,000. They jumped to 350,000. And if I am not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I am on the mark here two uh, a week ago, or now two weeks ago, closed in the 700,000 range. 
$700,000 for a rookie card. Let's say if when I go on and I check my raw pricing, that they are my card that I bought for $200 is a 15 to 16,000 card, uh, 15 to $16,000 um, value, and I'm not able to PSA 9 or PSA 10 it. Well, that that's great. I didn't buy it for that reason. I buy it. I bought it because I wanted it. Michael Jordan was ascending. He was winning. I, I I missed out the first time, so I wanted to go. And I felt at the time, even though I was you know doing New Mutants, doing X Force, buying a card for two hundred dollars is something that plays a trick with your mind. But I had a friend who was telling me this weekend that he was hesitant and was told by his stockbroker not to buy uh, Amazon stock when it went to seven hundred dollars and he hesitated briefly before going all in and buying a ton of shares and he was boasting to me how that those same amazon stocks that he bought for 700 dollars are now at three thousand dollars as of the time he told me last week so again there's a lot of stocks and bonds here but then there's the organic stuff that i'm talking about that when you pulled off new mutants 98 off the store you pulled it because you were enjoying the the characters the the storyline the art and over time it's appreciated because it's become what you call a key it's become a key book my copy of Walking Dead number one, my copy of Invincible number one, and look, those Invincibles, that's part of the fun. I didn't buy those thinking they were going to be motion pictures or cartoons. Now that there's a kick-ass looking Invincible cartoon that's about to debut on Amazon, I bought Invincible because I loved it. I couldn't believe how the book looked, the storytelling, the quality of the story, and the art, Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, who were these guys? But I've kept my entire Invincible long run in multiple long boxes um, because I love the character and I love Robert. 10, 15 years ago, he signed my trade paperbacks. He signed my hardcovers. He signed my oversized collections, my basically my absolute sized uh, Invincibles because I live Invincible. I have pages I bought from Brian Otley. I have original pages from the book. I bought them because I liked the comic book, not because I was playing the ponies trying to see what market speculation would do. But on the flip side now, do I have the satisfaction of knowing that all those books are going to double easily, easily double in value? When that Amazon cartoon hits. Absolutely. That's part of the fun. That's what I open with today. Saying, you know, there's there, 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 there's a, there, this is two worlds. There's a collectible and there's a consuming. I consume comics. I buy them. I read them because I love them. And occasionally I'm given a tip that you should buy that because Conan is going to be in the Avengers. And I do it, but I, I do it half-ass. I, I don't buy 10 copies. I buy one. I buy one. Because maybe if it happens, I'm happy to say that I had it and it cost me 2 to $3 that day. But, uh. I didn't go all in like some of my friends did. And right now on Patrick Gleason, he's moving the market based on his artistic vision, on his stylistic renditions are exciting people who it's 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 creating um it's it's creating knockoffs, it's creating homages, it's it's creating, you know, imitators. But that that that's where you go, that's a cover. People remember that cover when it landed, why it landed, why people want it. Variant covers are very difficult because there are so many of them nowadays. But it's a testimony that people want to buy in and do them in the first place because they love the product and they want the product. They want to be part of the ascension. They want to be part if it's the next Walking Dead, if it's the next saga. These retailers want to have their own version of it, which you know will turn out to be have its own representation of value. And really, that's all part of the fun. Again, I haven't sold any of my collection, but I am proud that I am continuing to evaluate it, keep them in nice form. Um... I don't submit a lot to the grading services because I don't like the submission and the wait time. But I have occasionally, especially stuff I've done. Have I submitted New Mutants 98s? 
Have I submitted stuff that the that issues that Stan and I signed of New Mutants 98, of New Mutants 87, um, of New Mutants 100, of X-Force 1? Yes, I have. I have. And I have um, plenty of slabs of those. It seemed like the logical thing to do, but it wasn't something that I conceived of on, on my own. Representation Representatives of mine said, to Rob, right now, with CGC in the house, let's get this done. Let's make this happen. Let's get you to sign it. Let's get Stan to sign it. Let's get these submitted. Let's get them in the system. Um, I have people who look out for me, they take care of me, and I was able to ride that, but very rarely do I mail submit, because it's just the whole um, the whole process. Like a, a buddy of mine was telling me the other day on my original art, hey, I can I can send that to a, rest, a restoration guy who can rest, restore your your pages and put that on a separate level. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I, I don't want that at all. I don't want anyone touching my pages. I'm, I, I said, I live in the world of, I'm going to be the guy that he spilled the glue or spilled the ink on the page and it's ruined forever. I'm going to be that one in 100,000 guy that got his job botched. So where I'm going with all of this is based on everything that is going on in the market. What do I believe is happening? We have a lot of interesting creators creating new stuff, creating for themselves. Marvel is creating lots of new characters. Batman's creating lots of new characters. It feels like it did in the early 90s, which is equal parts warning, equal, equal parts excitement. I do not know of a single person who went out of business because they ordered 5 million copies of X-Force. I was there. I went to those signings. I saw the electricity. They paid a lot of bills. They um, generated a lot of excitement. They got a lot of customers to come in and buy those books. Same with Spider-Man number one, three million copies. People thrived on that book. They, they, they showed up in droves. They wanted to participate. People off the street, people who had heard of Superman came in to buy a collectible version of the death of Superman. It was not as organic. The story was great. The art was great. Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, everybody in that saga knocked it out of the park. But it was a manipulated event meant to draw attention from people who had not interacted with comic books. And it created a spike. That is different. That is not organic. That is not as a creator of the Turtles doing a last chapter ever of the Turtles and it generating excitement because that's cool to see. That's cool to see. If George Lucas said he was coming back to finish the saga forever and tell the umpteenth version of some ascendant, that's great. That's great. I think people would show up for that. People would be excited. If J.J. Abrams announced that he was going to do a new Lost, we would all show up for that. If he was going to direct and write a return to the island, that's organic. But to hire it out, the more it leaves J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, it becomes less organic. That's what I mean by when I say organic. But we have a lot of characters being created. We have a lot of new books being launched. We have a lot of excitement. We have retailers who are telling me they have never done better in their um, history of their store than they did in the October and November months of 2020 when we were shut down in a pandemic. That means people are showing up. People are buying comics. They are putting more of their disposable income towards what we're doing. What's going on with these PSAs, with these, with the Michael Jordan sports cards? I told you I was going to tie this back into my kids, my two sons. This week, my youngest son, 18 years old, ran out of the house. He is an avid, has been for 12, 15 years. When he was a little boy, he got into Pokemon. He has Pokemon cards. He has PSA 10s. He's had them graded. He has cards that are worth $5,000, $4,000. I had not heard of this whatsoever, but I was literally walking in from the house at noon and he was bolting past me as if he was a super speedster. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, I'll tell you later. I've got to go to McDonald's. He walked back in the house with three Happy Meals. They had Pokemon all over the Happy Meals. I go, oh, McDonald's is running a Pokemon deal. He's like, there's a special chase card. First pack, first box he opens, he gets 
the card that was going for $100 that day. I don't know if it's fallen since then. He said, Dad, minimum, this will be worth 30, 40 bucks. It cost me, you know, $2.99 to buy the Happy Meal. He bought three. He said, Dad, the guy in front of me was buying 60. The guy behind me bought 40. And it was at that point late in the afternoon, some of the websites reported that people were crashing, collectors were crashing in order to get them. My son, my 18-year-old son, shared this with my 20-year-old son in Texas who went and uploaded his own picture that he bought three of the Happy Meals on his chair. And I was wondering if he would make out like his brother did. He did. They both got the chase card that as of that evening was going for 100 bucks. Are we talking about the fever? We are. The fever has struck. McDonald's has gone all in on Pokemon. As you guys all know, uh, the Paul brothers, uh, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, have bought into the uh, Pokemon sets. My son was telling me about, about this in the summer and the fall. And the minute someone of that magnitude, with that following, does this, it ignites. It gets people talking. It gets people's notice. It gets their attention. The same way Killing Superman got worldwide attention. Nowadays, somebody who has millions of followers, like a Logan Paul, is buying Pokemon cards. It's going to put them square into your lap, into your kid's lap, and, and, and have an attention put on them that they didn't have before. The Last Dance... Re, you know, it got people excited about Michael Jordan again. Showed you why he was the most dominant competitor to ever play sports. And again, basketball I treat differently because they play defense and they play offense in the same possession. A defense doesn't trot out and an offense walks off the field. Michael Jordan was the greatest competitor I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And I love and worship at the throne of all my Laker greats. But Jordan did it the best, was the most ruthless. And my kids got to see Jordan uh, as the rest of the world were awakened or reawakened to his... Uh, competitive prowess that created this interest again in rookie cards it was during that that espn last dance that i showed my kids i did indeed have a rookie card i did not expect to see the values of this thing start skyrocketing but it has and it has taken on a life of its own seven hundred thousand dollars so you've got mcdonald's playing the pokemon game you've got sports cards going crazy. You've got Deadpool PSAs going for $750 this morning on eBay. Look, you guys, the last time this happened, as I explained to my wife last night at dinner, the sports card money moved into the system. The money hit sports cards first. And what happened is it then jumped to comics. So take this as an equal parts caution. I am not having a parade and a, um, and, and, and maybe with some optimism because is it, does that mean that there's a lot of new people who are going to be coming in potentially to your retail center, to your hobby, to your craft? There is. I believe we are headed for another boom. Will that be followed by a bust? It most certainly will. When is the boom going to hit? Probably in the next 12 months. It's, things happen faster now with the, uh, the, the social media accelerates everything. So I believe it will land in comics, high-grade comics, First appearances, keys, speculation, it's all coming back. It's its in a way that we have not seen in the last 25, 30 years. People have talked about, oh, is this it? Is this it? No, that's not it. It's coming. It's happening. Um, where that's going to go, I do not know who it's going to touch, what publishers it's going to affect. Um, the market kind of creates its own successes. And then people follow that and they try and manufacture and jump on the back of that. But if I was publishing comics right now, I would be ready for a very plentiful period in the next couple of years. It will probably keep DC in the comic book game, um, which they have shrunk in regards to their output. It will probably keep them in the game, keep them sharper in the game because I think publishing numbers are going to start going up. When you look at some of these recent image comics numbers with, uh, with, uh, uh, Donny Cates in his crossover book doing 
um, hundreds of thousands of copies. And and again, I mean, you you got IDW and Last Ronin doing you know all total with those printings, probably close to two hundred thousand copies. Um, people are buying these books up, and and they are buying them out of out of um, not just out of speculation. They're buying them out of passion, and we have to be able to get through it as readers. Again, you've heard me. You know, talk about reader copies. If I can't read it, if I can't interact with it, it's no good to me. Okay. Um, as of this date, I do not have a Patrick Gleason Web of Spider-Man cover. I decided to sit that out. It's cool. I get to look at it online. I can stare at a really high-res scan of it. I just haven't chased the comic because at the Im- at the end of the day, what I really like about it is the image. If you need to have the comic, then you need to have the comic. Then you're going to be prepared to pay what the market says. So has it kind of been uncomfortable today? Did you go away saying I didn't like how Liefeld talked about it? as a marketplace, but it exists. It's real. We can't turn away from it. Does it sometimes make things that you want not available? Yes. But does it also trade in false, um, I, I would say false positives in the comic book marketplace are, are extensive. I mentioned Batman damned and the penis. Okay. Um, the, 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 the penis book. Well, I can go further and I can, do you remember when a few months back, the gold lantern was coming, gold lantern was going to make the Legion hot and it didn't. Okay. Um, and, and, and the, and the Batman penis book that was going to, you know, keep going crazy in price. It didn't, um, Conan in the Avengers, the first issue, it was going to go nuts. It didn't, um, you know, uh, the, the, these, the, the best thing is new characters, new characters, um, are always going to resonate. A first appearance is always going to be a first appearance, cover gimmicks, appearances, joining of teams, alliances. That is not the, um, uh, uh, different costumes, when the Fantastic Four all went to white costumes, Spider-Man had a white costume. Uh, briefly, Spider-Man had a mechanical costume. That, that you're rolling the dice on that stuff. That 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 is speculation. That is you speculating, and that is publishers putting stuff out there in order to excite you. Will it cause you to speculate? Will it disappear? It could. This weekend also, Red X, uh, a character that was in my kids. Teen Titans Go cartoon when it was on Cartoon Network when they were five and six and seven and they loved it. He's now emerged in these new state of comic book. Uh, comic books from DC Comics. I, I'm sitting this out. I'm, I'm not a part of this. I, I'm aware of it. My retail friends tell me that's the quote-unquote hot book of the month. But, uh, you know, uh, Todd McFarlane was chasing some different variant equations. And at when, when Chadwick Boseman, you know, rest his soul, left us way too early um, and passed away, uh, Todd announced a Chadwick Boseman cover on Spawn. And the market went crazy. But the day that the market, that the books showed up, the retailers that I spoke to, it, it was, you know, maybe a little too little, a little too late. Um, and the, the, the drawing the line from Chadwick Boseman to Spawn was maybe more of a reach. Were there people who bought it and dug it? There were. But that was one that I think people um, really uh, gambled on. Well, it, it, Chadwick Boseman, and, and, and that it is weird. It is weird that that, that entire... Um, thing falls under the weird category. But these are, as I go through it, and I got on the phone with my retail buddies before I did this to go through and list this. But if you have the first appearance of Null, who has become a formidable villain, you know, in the Marvel Universe, spearheading this entire King in Black um, crossover storyline, that's organic. It was, it, it, it all gets back to this Black symbiote. And now it's turned into this cosmic god and Donnie Cates and, and his crew have rounded it out, have made Null this giant cosmic force. Uh, the closest thing I've seen to Thanos in 30 years at Marvel, he is a driving force behind an entire line of stories. That is organic. I made sure that I had my first editions of Null 
in, in, in nice snug Mylar bags. I bought them because I was buying what Donnie and the boys, what uh, Stegman and, and Ivan Coelho, Coelho were doing with, with Venom. I bought in because of their artistic vision. I didn't know that along the way there would be little Easter eggs that would turn around and tr create tremendous value. But there was. And that's fun. That is fun. So it's part of the uh, the boon of, of what we do is that is that that you get to have values that have long-lasting life. Cable and Deadpool are always, those are always going to be the first appearance of Cable and Deadpool. Just like Todd McFarlane, that is always going to be the first appearance of Spawn. So... I believe that we are in for a publishing boom. I think more attention is going to be given to the publishing of comic books. I think it will bring back old faces. I think it will bring back complete it will it will it will introduce some level of speculation and the onus is on us to not go crazy. I said nobody closed their doors because of X-Force or any of the first image um, yearbooks or Spider-Man. It was later on that fly-by-night companies came into the business that were unknown quantities that people gambled on and 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 and, they, and and retailers didn't know what to make of all these new untested publishers. It'll come down to talent. It'll come down to titles. It always does. That's what happens. I'm not playing. I, I don't play the ponies. If you've listened to this today, I've resisted buying in on several of the recent, what I call, quote unquote, hot trends. Because I just want to like what I like. And in wrapping up, those Avengers issues and those Fantastic Four issues that I was pursuing to keep my copies in the best condition possible, I have every hardcover and trade paperback of those same stories. And I love sitting down with those and flipping through it. So I, I tried to explain to my wife, the book in the Mylar is my piece of nostalgia. That is a book I pulled off the rack. That is a place in time for me. As I've told you, I can walk the steps with those books again. That's why I'm keeping them in great condition. I'll hand them off to my kids. Maybe they'll hand them off to theirs. Maybe they'll be get these great mementos that can be passed down, family heirlooms. But when I want to re-engage with those stories, I do so in the hardcovers and in the soft trade editions that I have, or in some cases, I buy them on Comixology, and that's how I, I interact with them, having them on my phone or on my iPad. But I do believe, uh, I know there's crowdfunding. I asked my friend if there was a crowdfunded comic that demands a lot of, um, of, of heat and attention, and he said there's not. So that's a good thing and there's a bad thing. The crowdfunding is booming, and it's booming because it's a way to, uh, you know, to, to, to back a creator and their vision. Um, independent publishing and being able to control every aspect of your vision is a tremendous asset. And, and, and while Marvel and DC, the two big publishers, will have their juice and all of um, the, the tools at their disposal to, to grow their books and to expand them, you cannot ever count out the little guy and the innovation um, that, is, that is available to him via his self-publishing mechanisms. I've seen it. I've seen what it can do. I think it's an exciting time for publishing. I think whatever it, it whatever it takes, we stay in business. We keep being creative. We create characters, world stories that excite people, that draw people. And if they want to speculate on them, that's not that that we don't control that. But what we can control is how much we interact with that level. The speculation can absolutely help you. The speculation can absolutely burn you. I've been in this business professionally for 34 years. And I hope that everyone who was there for the last boom and bust will apply the same lessons of the boom and bust and be more cautious. Make your highs higher and, and, and limit, you know, limit your shorts, limit, limit your, your losses.
But I think comics has a bright future. They're not going anywhere. They're going to continue to be robust. They're going to continue to feature great characters, great talent, great writers, great artists. And I am so thrilled that I am a part of it and that I get to contribute and I get to make comic books as my living. Like my son said to me on his way out the door as he returned to college this year, Dad, what is it like being a little kid who eats candy, draws pictures, and plays with toys every single day? And I said, Luke, it's a great life. And I wouldn't trade it for any other. Everyone, I want to thank you so much for hanging with me, for listening to this podcast, for spreading the word, for talking uh, to your friends, turning them on. Um, thank you for the downloads, the subscriptions, and and the and the great reviews, the word of mouth. I appreciate it so much. You you can't even begin to understand how much I appreciate it. Thank you for your support. You can find me on social media at Rob Liefeld on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. At Robert Liefeld, the long form. With the blue check, that's really me, not a scammer. Um, on Instagram, I'm the short. I'm at Rob Liefeld. At Rob Liefeld on Instagram, I'm all over uh, Facebook, social media. I love to talk to you guys. I love to exchange ideas, respond to you guys when I can. Continue to contact me. Continue to look out for me. I'll look out for you. Do me a favor. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And we will talk again real soon. 